Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. The state of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think you must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job. Welcome once again to the Arrow Man in Stockholm podcast. I am Philip O'Connor, but that is of no interest to anybody whatsoever. Now, during the recent pandemic, writer and broadcaster Danny Robbins struck gold with perhaps the oldest form of storytelling of them all, the ghost story. Danny's sharp writing and eye for detail struck a chord with audiences wanting to know if there is in fact a life after this one, and if we do in fact share this world with spirits yet to pass. He's here to talk to me about a number of the hugely successful projects that he has undertaken in the last couple of years, including putting singer Lily Allen on stage in the West End for the first time. Uh, Dan, how are you? You just mentioned that you're in temporary accommodation at the moment because you have the builders in. Is it haunted by any chance? <laughs> it's, it's not. My, my Zoom backdrop is, uh, is significantly less good. That's a the the biggest the biggest negative from this house um i've got a very melancholic blue wall behind me now which i know will mean nothing to people listening but um but yeah i I, um i've got builders tearing my other house apart which which feels oddly like life imitating art because my play 222 a ghost story which um which lily allen acted in which has been running in the west end is all about a couple who come in and tear an old victorian house apart build a kitchen extension and that idea that in doing that you might open yourself up to releasing spirits. You know, you might open up the different layers of your house and the the former residents might come back to haunt you for tearing apart their version of the house. So maybe, who knows, maybe my kitchen extension will open a portal to hell. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Usually if you have the builders in, that's a portal to hell. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get on to that in a second. But I think where this sort of started for you, Dan, was with the podcast, The Battersea Poltergeist. Is that right? Um. Yeah, well, sort of. Yeah, I mean... That's where this year of kind of ghosts being very good to me kicked off. I've had a, a year of doing ghostly projects, which is, um, you know, which have really seemed to have connected with people. But I actually, it kind of dates back further than that, really, that, that mm. writing the play was the thing that spawned all of this ghostliness, because I basically had a friend who told me that she'd seen a ghost. And I remember thinking at that moment, that people in our friendship group would react to her in very different ways. Some people would think that she was making it up. Some people would laugh at her. Some people might think that she was mad and, and actually question her sanity. And so I just got interested about the idea of placing that within the context of a relationship. And, and the play came from that, this idea of a, a woman who believed the house was haunted and a man who um, who refused to believe in ghosts. And, and doing the research for that play, I just put out a shout on social media saying, has anybody I know seen a ghost? And suddenly I got loads of stories coming in and then it was friends of friends and then it was strangers and it kind of went viral. And that spawned my first podcast series, Haunted, which was about telling these real life ghost stories. And then Haunted spawned back to see Poltergeist because during the making of that, an old ghost hunter, this kind of legend of, the British paranormal scene, a guy called Alan Murdy, uh, who I think was kind of, he, I think he was in or around sort of the Enfield haunting as well. You know, he um, he said to me, there's this haunting, it took place in the 50s. It was incredible. It spans all this phenomena of objects, moving noises. There were even like letters seemingly from this ghost. There's a huge box of evidence and, um, and the woman it happened to is still alive. And he introduced me to Shirley Hitchings, this person who was 
15 in 1956 and was the focus for the haunting and who is now in her early 80s and we got talking and then the Battersea poltergeist came along and you know I realized that this story was not a single episode of my series it was something big and it ended up spawning this eight-part series for the BBC um, using drama and documentary to tell the story drama to bring the haunting to life and documentary to kind of explore it in the present day so so yeah so it, it, it's interesting that the play actually came out after Battersea Poltergeist in the end was staged in, in the West End in the summer um, and and yet it, it, it had preceded everything really so I, I guess you know what I'm saying is my interest in ghosts has been bubbling away for a long time and it really dating right back to childhood I've been obsessed by this idea that other things might exist out there, that there might be some other layer of existence for, for a long time. Um, if you go back to Haunted, Dan, will you put, like, I'm actually remembering the timeline correctly now. I probably should have bloody well checked it before I spoke to you, but there you go. But when you you put, I remember you putting that shout out on uh, on Twitter, I think at the time, on social media, does anybody have any ghost stories? Has anybody ever seen the ghost? Did, did the people who got back to you, did they have anything in common? Did their stories have anything in common? Was there anything you were able to identify, you know, because, I mean, you're a great man for research and for writing and that. Was there anything that struck you as, hang on a second, everybody is kind of the same in this way, or they're kind of different? that way I, I think one thing that comes up a lot and and certainly came up a lot from the beginning but you know comes up consistently now I mean I, I get hundreds of stories sent to me now in the wake of the other series I've made it's youth it's it's the fact that this often happened to people when they were young mm. and I think it, it happens often as a formative period in your life a transitional phase so you know, it, it can be puberty. It's it's often uh, that young adulthood stage when you leave home for the first time. Loads and loads and loads of stories happen at university. Um, and, um, you know, and, and the, I mean, the other thing is another transitional stage would be moving house as well, you know, moving into a new house, you know, so maybe your family as a kid when you move into a new house or maybe as an adult you're moving. But um, so I think it's it's periods in your life when you feel unsettled and um, and also maybe when you are kind of, away from the support networks that you've been with previously you know be it parents or be it you know just your neighbors and the people that you knew you know you're in a new you're in new territory so I mean I think you can read into that several things like a skeptic would read into that you know that you're in a period of increased anxiety and you are um you know kind of just you know more open to imagining the worst because you, you're opening yourself up to little kind of fears that weren't there before um, and, uh, you know, and a believer might say that at that period in your life, particularly in that kind of young period in life, you are just more open, you're more receptive. And I think, you know, any of us who look back at, you know, things that we wrote when we were young, I mean, when I find old letters I wrote as a teenager in my early 20s in the attic going through stuff, I just, I feel like a different person, you know, you're this mm -hmm. amazing kind of sponge soaking up life and experience and so full of just enthusiasm and energy and like so not the jaded person that you end up later on in life and um and so you know I could see the argument for that that you are more open that you are you know people often talk about children being more op open to the supernatural you know they haven't closed their minds um so I think that's interesting but but at the same time you know that is not a rule I mean I have loads of experiences sent to me by people who don't conform to that I mean mm. the ones that excite me the ones that set my pulse racing are the ones where people say, I don't believe in ghosts, but I've seen a ghost. And I guess that 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 for me was the the thing that became a bit of a unifying thread. I felt like I'd watched a lot of ghost shows on TV, and we've probably all seen those shows with the night vision cameras and the screaming and the running around in haunted castles or pubs or wherever. 
and you know that's fun it's a genre that's perhaps become a little bit sort of repetitive now but um but but that's pretty much all driven by people who believe in ghosts you know and and I was interested in the people who don't and the people who still have experiences and so you know that that's what I gravitate towards people who every sinew of their being rebels against this being a ghost and yet they cannot explain what happened to them this all took off pretty quickly with haunted and and then subsequently the Battersea poltergeist because I remember seeing on social media that these things were being put out on BBC there were listen-alongs so people would sort of click on play at the same time and they would discuss the episodes in real time as they heard them it became a huge thing Danny Did, did that surprise you at the time yeah, I mean, it definitely did. I mean, I, I hoped that Battersea Poltergeist would be, you know, popular. I, I, there were kind of certain other shows around. I was hoping, oh, it might be as popular as that, you know. Um, and then suddenly, yeah, it, it exploded and it started doing kind of really, really big numbers. You know, I think, I mean, I don't know, it's sort of like five million downloads now. I think it's kind of, it, it went really big. And I think that it captured a moment. I think it was because we were in lockdown. I'm not sure that it would have had a similar impact or the same impact if we hadn't been in lockdown. I think it was, um, there was an incredible focus at that moment. We, we were all kind of looking in at the same things, wanting entertainment. We, we were trapped, mm. we were lonely. Podcasts became our friends. And I think that, you know, like that's something that people say to me. People sometimes say, it feels like you're my friend when I'm listening to you. And mm. that for me, for you know, I would imagine for you as well, like anybody who makes stuff, that's, pretty much the best thing that someone could say to you you know <laughs> the idea that they feel that kind of degree of comfort with you um and so yeah and I think a ghost story really resonated this idea of a family trapped in their house where the house goes from being familiar to fr- threatening to frightening you, you know the, the the idea of you know just when we were trapped in our own spaces these houses that we normally spend a bit of time in in the morning and a bit of time in in the evening suddenly spending your entire time there it does feel strange. The house shifts and it feels starts to feel oppressive, you know, and I think people could relate to the idea of a haunted house much more tangibly in that way. And um, and I think also, you know, ghost stories resonated because we were clearly in greater proximity to death than we have been for a long time as well. You know, like the mortality was more of a present in our lives, a presence in our lives. Um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, ghost stories having a moment, you know, you only have to turn on Netflix to see all the horror content out there you you can see like you know in in the literary world like novels about ghosts are kind of a really resurgent literary form as well and um and yeah so I mean it captured that moment and I felt very lucky but yeah I mean it was mind-blowing that I was making this show in my shed in Walthamstow in East London at the bottom of my garden as my kind of locked down kids bounced on the trampoline outside going, come on, daddy, get out, you know. And then I was fielding phone calls from Hollywood. I had like Jason Blum from Blumhouse calling me up and wanting to buy the rights. And, you know, in the end, we, you know, after a bidding war, we we did, you know, we sold the rights to Blumhouse and I'm making the TV series with Blumhouse now, which is absolutely a childhood dream come true, you know. So, um, so yeah, it, it was, it was strange and, and, and magical and I, I feel very grateful to have found this story very blessed to have met Shirley Hitchings who who is the the person it'll happen to and you know clearly Shirley's delighted by what happened with the 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 podcast as well yeah so um you know it, it's it I think it shows there is a real hunger and appetite for ghost stories at the moment and as a lover of ghost stories I I, I think that's great
Um, you're somebody who has made a living from from writing and from performing and a wide variety of things. So, I mean, you made a brilliant podcast about uh, Johnny Cash's Live at Folsom Prison album, which uh, I think Audible commissioned that from you. And then, of course, you made The Cold Swedish Winter, which uh, I've been lucky enough to help you out with over here on location here. Um, how much does this bring you towards like the Premier League of writing, of broadcasting, podcasting, TV series? Do you feel now that you're you're operating on a different level thanks to the success brought to you by Ghosts? I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it's lovely. I mean, it, it obviously gives a kind of bigger shop window. And it's really nice to, you know, I'm doing interviews now where people talk about, like, my work as a body of work, which is a gorgeous thing, because, you know, you spend your life as a as a jobbing writer doing all these different things. And, and you know, your work is defined by a CV. You're kind of like, you know, here's my CV, here's what I've done. To, to sort of think about your work as an entity and as something that has a kind of common identity and you know the ghosts I think have given it that now like you can look at Haunted Battersea Poltergeist Uncanny 222 a ghost story and sort of see common themes and 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 a voice running through it and you know I love that I love the idea I think most of all of having found my voice and I think you know if anybody is listening and kind of wanting to be a writer I think that that for me feels like the single most important thing to find your voice and to tell a story that feels truthful and authentic and personal to you and th that thing that you 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 know you can research stuff as much as you want but but living your interest living your obsession is the thing you know so I, I ghosts is something that I've been obsessed by and interested by for so long that it's sort of crept into my DNA mm. and you know it, it's that thing where you just feel like you live and breathe the subject and, and that's where it starts to feel really authentic so I guess you know, that, that's um, a lovely thing to sort of feel like you've found your voice and that people are interested in your voice as well. Um, I, I sort of, you know, I mean, in terms of where I'm at, I, I don't know, I sort of feel like, you know, I, I would love to prove myself on a screen. You know, I'd love to write something really good for TV or, or write a, a film and, you know, use the kind of storytelling that I have used in audio or on stage on the screen as well. I mean, not Not because... I'm attaching different merits to any of those genres, but just because I, I think that that would be a lovely new challenge. That feels like a, a new frontier. And, and clearly, you know, um, you know, to, to make a, a film that is a really, really big stage, you know, to, to do that kind of thing. So, so yeah, you know, let, let's see, let's see. I mean, at the moment, I'm loving the fact that a community is built around the podcast. There's this hashtag uncanny community that people can go and dig into and, and you'll find that there are people doing zooms and meeting up and sharing info about ghosts and you know I, I guess like you know that that is probably the proudest achievement actually beyond beyond like sort of um you know any any sort of awards or anything like that you know just just the fact that there's a lot of people out there enjoying what you do mm. that's that's great can you explain the genesis of bloody hell ken that's one of those things that uh, has cropped up as a hashtag, and I think I've seen it on coffee mugs now as well, if I'm not mistaken. I know, I know, it's it's, it's quite it's quite great. Um, so bloody hell, Ken, was a line that I was very prepared to and almost about to cut from the first episode of Uncanny. So Uncanny, for anyone who hasn't heard it, is a series where people tell me their real life encounters with what they think might be supernatural. So. It can be ghosts or it could be UFOs or it could be, you know, we've had guardian angels and, um, you know, and pre premonitions and, and different aspects of the supernatural. But it's a moment in someone's life where they 
something happens to them that, that they cannot explain and often scares them and we explore it and you know and so in the first one this was ken who was an eminent geneticist a really highly respected scientist this very sober rational man who told the most preposterously terrifying story about uh, about uh, this apparition that appeared to him in his student bedroom in Belfast in the 80s. And then a, a night later, there's this terrific, terrifying banging on the door, a poltergeist activity. And the thing that's really weird is that he discovers later on that this kind of activity happened to people in that room, room 611, the year before and the year after. And he didn't know this at the time. So there's something about this room. And then as we dig into this and do more research, we start one episode starts to become multiple episodes. We find out that loads of people in this old residence, Allenbrook Hall, have had other experiences. And suddenly you're going like, what is going on with this 1960s tower block? Uh, and um, so anyway, really interesting story. And um, and at one point in the thing, I just went, bloody hell, Ken. <laughs> this is like, he just told me about this terrifying, looming shadow entity. And um, and I was like, you know, oh, we've got to save time. We've got to get this episode down to length. You know, Lisa, oh, I'll probably leave it in. And then just everyone latched onto it when they heard that first episode. Everyone was just sort of hashtagging bloody hell, Ken, bloody hell, Ken, loving it. And it became this meme. And I think it became symbolic of something, actually, in the end. I think it became symbolic of this kind of shock and horror of hearing these stories, but also this kind of solidarity, like, with people. It, you know, people are being brave in telling these stories because... It's not just about the fear you felt at the moment. It's about the fear of how you will be judged. The fear of people, you know, calling you a liar or calling you crazy. And, uh, and of people like Ken who are really, you know, bastions of science and respectability, you know, do they lose their credibility in that field if they tell this ghost story? You know, so it's a brave thing to put yourself out there. And, um, and so, yeah, bloody hell Ken became this kind of, this call of, of solidarity and, and, and shock for, for everybody enjoying the series. And it, and it became this hashtag spread quite widely. And as the, the story about that particular ghost story went viral, it went across like the Northern Irish media and then the national media in the UK. Um, yeah, and then now t-shirts and, and mugs are available on dannyrobbins.com. <laughs> it's amazing because it became one of those things that for the first time I read it in the context of your tweets and tweets about the show and that kind of thing and it just makes so much sense and it encapsulates absolutely everything and it's organic and it came from the show and it's amazing how something that doesn't mention ghosts or anything else like that it just becomes so synonymous with the whole thing so it's like you know one of those uh, an accidental triumph there and um, how do you feel Dan that this colors your writing because you've written so many different things in the past you know in terms of you know you've done everything from travel writing to plays to radio sitcoms to, does this you know are you now you know sort of you know putting the etiquette on yourself that, okay now i'm a ghost writer this is what i do i'm a paranormal chaser or do you still reserve the right to go and do whatever the hell danny robbins wants to do well i mean i think i tried to do too many things in the past i think i tried to be a jack of all trades and i think what i sort of realized more recently is that you know you can't spend your life trying to be everything you can just try and be something and um and so yeah it's interesting i, I read an article someone sent me an article recently about when creative people go through what they described as a hot streak which i guess is a, a period in your career where sort of things work for you and, and you know lots of us who are creative have a moment where suddenly it feels like 
you know, things taking off. And we also have loads of moments where we feel like nothing's working at all. <laughs> it feels and, like a fucking you know, car crash. It's, uh, it's, it's, it, and it's kind of depressing, you know. And, and certainly, I, I mean, I've been through quite a lot of periods like that recently where I just felt like, oh, God, you know, this is like an uphill struggle. And, and uh, but anyway, this article, which was a, a study by psychologists, was saying that this hot streak would happen where you had a period of diversification and experimentation followed by a period of focusing in on, on something. And for me, that has been ghosts. You know, I, I, I have absolutely followed that, unintentionally followed that, you know, that, that I did Cold Swedish Winter, Comedy Set in Sweden. I did documentaries about stuff. I did the Johnny Cash program. I was being, you know, interested in music, interested in Sweden, interested in, you know, writing sitcoms. I mean, all sorts of different things and, and hopefully doing all those things well. But, mm. but at the same time, there was a kind of very... Um, all over the shop identity you know and um and i think in, in focusing in on on ghosts and making that my thing i i allowed myself to kind of master my skills in that and to mm. kind of uh, you know to, to try and master my expertise in that i also gave people a kind of focal point i guess of like well this 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 is somebody who's telling these kind of stories this is somebody mm. i can kind of get interested in who's going to be a source of this and who's going to be consistent in giving me this stuff so if i stick with him if i kind of put my allegiances in his podcast uh, you know, column. Then, then you know, he'll give me more of what I like. You know, so, so I guess you know, there's a lot to be said for kind of building a, you know, building an identity or building a brand. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I love telling ghost stories, uh, and loads, most of the ideas I'm having at the moment are ghost stories. But no, I mean, I, I could imagine myself, I, you know, and I will tell other stories too. And you know, the next play I've been commissioned to write is not a ghost story, but um, but certainly, I mean, I feel like you know, there's a huge kind of need almost for ghost stories at the moment. I feel like ghosts are really important to us as a society. They are this kind of, this way for us to process death. You know, they are this kind of buffer zone between us and death. Like clearly there's a reason why ghost stories have existed since well, prehistoric times, but certainly Roman times and why the nature of those stories hasn't really changed. You know, the, the way people talk about hauntings is pretty much consistent from Roman times to now. So mm. something is going on and it merits exploration um and 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 also you know even you know if you're a skeptic and you you don't believe that ghosts exist then clearly we still as a society we need ghosts there's something about us that kind of craves this way of understanding the universe yeah it's interesting because like i've seen a few of these things you know that show in ireland the late late show this talk show that's been mm -hmm. running for a million years and occasionally they have people who talk to angels on and that kind of thing and i'm always torn between this thing of some people get an immense amount of comfort out of believing in that and believing that that's where their child or their parent or their relative is gone. And sometimes you think, okay, you know, they're just pulling the wool over their eyes and these people are taking the piss for consultations and money and this kind of thing. So I still haven't landed in whether I think this is a good thing or a bad thing, you know, but on another note, um, Again, you know, just, you know, when you're talking about the hot streak there, get Lily Allen on the stage in the West End, when I think you're the first person to put her in a play there. She's done a little bit of acting, but then, you know, known best as a singer. How did that come about? Did she come looking to you or did you go, you know, uh, I want to do a ghost story with Lily Allen in it? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, she, she, the only acting she had done was, was appearing, I think, non-speaking role in her um, in the film produced by her mum. Her mum's a film producer. Was that Archie John, yeah? And it was that film Elizabeth, you know, yeah. if you remember the, the film about Elizabeth the mm -hmm. And that, that was it. I, I mean, I don't, maybe she had a line up there. I can't remember now. But anyway, that was it, you know, as, as a teenager. And, um, and so, I mean, it was a complete random one, really. I mean, it was just our director, Matthew Dunster, just had a feeling about her. He was like, 
I think Lily Allen would be good. I think she'd be a good actress. And our casting director was working with Lily's mum, Alison Owen, the film producer, on something else completely different. And she just said to Alison, could you get a script to Lily? And, and, um, and Alison passed it to Lily. And Alison had a slight ulterior motive, I think, that she would like Lily to be in London in the summer so she could see her grandkids. <laughs> so there's all these different kind of things that were aligning. And Lily, I think, had just hit a moment in her life where she wasn't quite sure what she wanted to do next. And she was talking to her husband, David Harbour, who's an actor. And, uh, and he read the script first. And he read the script and said, look, if you think you're acting, I think you should do this, you know, and um, and she took the punt on it. She took that chance and it was a huge thing for her to come across from New York where she'd set up her life. She was just getting her kids into school in New York and just kind of, you know, just bought a house and was doing up a house. And and she came over and, and she did this. And it was very, very brave, I think, to put herself out there. And I think, you know, I think she had this thing in her head that if it all went wrong, she could run back to New York and she could just, you know, sort of, mm. you know, try and block it out and forget about it. I mean, you could see from the first day of rehearsals that she was good. You know, you could see that she had this real natural ability and, and was very different. She had this real unique, original approach. She didn't feel like anyone that you'd seen before. You know, she didn't feel like you were watching somebody acting. She just felt you believed her. She felt very real. Did you feel like and, you were watching Lily Allen, though? No, no. I mean, I mean, I mean uh, no, no. I mean, I, you know, I felt like I was watching the character. I think she inhabited the character brilliantly. I think it was a a character that was well suited to her. Mm. You know, I think some of the stuff that Lily had been through and sort of talked later on about, I, I hadn't actually known at the time that she'd had this incident with a stalker where, where you know, she had mm. been in, a, in a, to a degree sort of haunted by this person. I mean, I think that fed into the character very well. And, um, and she had this, you know, incredible vulnerability and fragility on stage. And what we watched happen was that she went from being someone in the room who was incredibly natural and brilliant and, you know, like it was a, a sort of almost like a TV performance. It was incredibly believable. But we like, we knew she had to fill this thousand seater theater. So, you know, we've got to get to the point where she can do the technical side of the acting as well. The whole thing about, you know, having to sort of face out front and project and all those sort of things. And, you know, and, and at the beginning of the previews, you know, we were sort of going from, you know, watching her being the kind of the Loki Lily to suddenly like, you know, a week into the show, like it was like, wow, my God, you know, like this is, <laughs> this woman is kind of like, you know, Matthew, the director said like she, you know, every week for Lily was like a year at drama school for anyone else. Right. You know, so like a, a few previews in, you know, and she was awesome in all the previews, but a few previews in, she was like, she cracked this, you know, she was the West End queen and, and, um, and you know, by press night, she was phenomenal and, and the reviews reflected that. And, um, and, you know, she won the What's On Stage Award for Best Actress, and she is nominated for the Olivier Award for Best Actress. You know, so th that's not a bad haul for your first acting performance. It's pretty decent, all right. Um, when it comes to things like that, Dan, is there a risk to you, other than reputational, do you have a sort of a financial interest in these things, you know, that you're sitting there going, oh, fuck, I hope we sell enough tickets because otherwise, you know, I'm going to lose my house? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I didn't have any anything invested in the show and, um, you know, other than all the kind of years of work on it, which, you know, would have been heartbreaking if it didn't work out. Um, but no, I mean, I, I wasn't an investor, but, um, you know, there were lots of brave people who were like, you know, I mean, it was a pretty crazy thing to do to put on a play by a new writer, a new play by a new writer in, in the middle of a pandemic in the West End, in a massive theatre straight into the West End. You know, normally you'd go through another route, you'd go through mm. doing it at the Royal Court or you know, the Bush or the National or, you know, another theatre first. And um, and we didn't, so it sort of felt like an act of hubris. It was this kind of brash thing to kind of come in and and go straight into West End. But um, 
It just connected with people, actually. And I think that, you know, the, the producers are very hot on the analytics for our ticket buyers. And so they know who's buying tickets. Mm. And it's a lot of young people. Like our audience is predominantly under 35s, which oh. certainly wasn't true of theatre before. And I think, you know, that's partly probably because older people don't feel as confident coming back into crowded spaces, theatres still because of, you know, still feeling nervous about COVID. And, um, and also I think it was just that younger people were desperate to get out. You know, they were driving the entertainment economy because they were the ones most acutely aware of being cooped up in their houses and kind of missing mm. out on life. So, so getting that crowd into a theatre was brilliant. And it felt like that felt like a really, you know, like, like a nice new thing. Like it was people who maybe before hadn't felt the theatre was for them or hadn't gone to the theatre as much. When you look at the analytics for podcasts, I never look at analytics. It's one of those things that, and I know I really should, you know, I should be looking at where people are and what age they are and that kind of thing. When you look at that for the podcast, can you say anything about your audience for uh, Haunted, Uncanny, the Battersea Poltergeist, or do you even care about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I can. Um, I mean, it, it certainly spread across a, a broad spectrum. And, you know, the show uh, is, one of, is one of the top 10 shows in, 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 uh, in general on the BBC, but it's also one of the top 10 shows with under 35s, which is nice. So it's kind mm. of, it is attracting that younger crowd. I mean, I think pr predominantly our audience, because we're, um, you know, coming from it being kind of a Radio 4 show, it, it's got the Radio 4 branding on. I think, you know, our, our audience probably sits more in the middle, you know, kind of um, sort of people in their kind of, you know, um, 40s and 50s maybe. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a really broad church our audience and I, I sort of definitely feel like you know there's a whole load of different kind of people listening to our show and I think a load of people who who enjoy and listen to or, or enjoy and watch the paranormal shows on tv have come to us as well you know like kind of um seeing us as a different take on the paranormal genre so that's really nice and, and we I know that we get kind of equal amounts of believers and skeptics and then we also get that big group in the middle of people who aren't sure so um yeah, I think I think it's 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 very broad, really, and um, you know it's nice. I mean, I, I feel like it's really important, whatever you're doing, to connect with that younger audience. You know, to connect with the people who kind of you know are the next generation of listeners or or, or theatre viewers or whatever, and who are kind of harder to reach. You know, because like um, you know they're, they're consuming their culture in in so many different ways. You know, you know, sort of older people would read about a play in the times or the independent or the telegraph and they'd go and see that play you know like mm. you know like, i mean what i've been so impressed by is like the social media marketing campaign on our play like just they, they the producer made the play very hard to escape on social media mm. they didn't do a single poster they didn't spend a single penny on a single poster and they were saying that's because you know during the pandemic people aren't out as much you know people aren't walking through the tube in London, you know, seeing buses or whatever. So focus on the social media campaign and it's worked and it's connected with that younger audience. So I just feel like if you want to be a creator of stuff now, you've got to work out how to reach that audience, the audience who consume music through Spotify and TV through Netflix and, you know, like, you know, communicate through TikTok and stuff like that. You know, how, how do you reach them? Because they're the people you're going to need to be sitting in your theatre or listening to your podcast or wanting to watch your your program you know that there's this term actually I don't know if you've ever heard this Phil but um within the BBC there's a term replenishers which is what they use for Radio 4 which is basically replacing the audience that are dying off so the replenishers who come in you know so you've got to find you know culture needs to chase and connect with those replenishers I think
That's the thing I, I always said about the Irish community here in Stockholm, but the future is with people whose names we don't yet know, which is a nicer way of saying that we're all going to die and we need other people to take over. You know? <laughs> yeah. Danny, have you ever seen a ghost? No, I haven't. I I am a skeptic who wants to believe. So um, I, I think I live vicariously through the stories that people send me. And I, I don't know, I've always felt like I would love to see a ghost. In the same way, I would sort of, you know, once I'd love to have had some sort of religious experience. You know, I kind of, I had this really powerful desire to believe in something. And that came from being brought up in an atheist household by a mum who had been brought up a Catholic. So when we went to my grandparents, you know, I saw all these pictures of Jesus staring down at me, these kind of books about the Pope and... um and I was fascinated, and, and and yet I felt very much outside of that. I wasn't part of that club. And I guess I've always felt like that. I've always felt that desire to be part of some sort of club of belief. And um, and also that kind of, I'm a coward and I'm an agnostic. And I, so, you know, like I reserve the right to be wrong. And I, you know, I, yeah, I, 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 I'm intrigued by the idea that there might be magic out there. So that, that's what drives me. But at the same time, again, being a coward, I think be careful what you wish for because actually some of the stories people have told me and the impact it's had on their lives it is life-changing to have these experiences and it takes you into a, a different realm where your whole concept of reality shifts and the fear can really be very lasting the impact of the fear can be lasting so I I, I sometimes wonder if I would be prepared for that and how I would react to it but yeah no I mean I, I've been in many a haunted house and I've done many a a ghost hunting expedition didn't connect with me and I, I didn't have the experience I craved. Where can people find your work, Dan? I'm assuming that these podcasts are all available on the BBC player, that kind of thing, are they? Well, so Haunted is not. Haunted is an early one that, that you can listen to on you know, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or you know, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Um, and um, and that, that dates back to 2017, that one. Um, but yeah, Battersea Poltergeist and my new series, Uncanny, are on BBC Sounds, but also, yeah, again, like, you know, wherever you listen, you know, they're on Spotify and Apple and everywhere as well. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, and also the other thing I should say is if you listen and you've got a ghost story, email me. You can email me at danny at dannyrobbins.com, 1B and Robbins, or contact me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram and um, Facebook. And I want to hear your ghost stories and your ghost story could be a future episode of one of these shows. So, so that, that's, you know, absolutely a call to action there, kind of get in touch with me. And then we've got we've got more stuff coming out. I mean, I'm doing another series, which is going to be a bit like Battersea Poltergeist, a mixture of drama and documentary, telling this one ghost story over eight parts. That'll come out later this year. And I think we'll, we will hopefully drop some uh, bonus uncanny episodes before then as well. So, um, so, yeah, absolutely more ghostly stuff coming. And 222, a ghost story reopens in the West End, in May, May 7th, with Tom Felton, Draco Malfoy from Harry Potter and Mandip Gill from Doctor Who. So exciting um, stuff for people interested in those shows. And I'm, I'm also doing this other show called um, The Gunpowder Plot Immersive, which tells the story of the gunpowder plot in this exciting immersive theatre way where you come into these vaults 
opposite the Tower of London. Mm -hmm. And you have this mixture of real actors and virtual reality bringing this story to life. You know, it, it will feel like you're stepping into Jacobean London. So that, that's one of my next things as well. And that opens um, in mid-May as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, you know, that that's not ghostly, but I think it has certain things in common in terms of storytelling, in terms of creating a, a thriller and sort of slight kind of horror vibes and um and also that thing of creating a debate you know the podcasts are very much about belief skepticism what do you believe and the gunpowder plot is about you know kind of big questions of whether what the, what the plotters were doing could ever be justified you know it, it feels like it feeds into the way we're telling the story it feeds into this kind of current debate about how, how do you change the world you know if, if you're a young activist mm. and you know you need to change the world the world is unfair or hurtling towards destruction, talking about climate change, you know, how, how do you do that? You know, how extreme can you go? What is justified? So, mm. so I think, you know, certainly lots of stuff about the gunpowder plot feels like it really resonates with uh, our, our current times. You know, it's this divided Britain, divided between Catholics and Protestants back then. Mm. It's a time of plague, you know, the gunpowder plot happened in November because the state opening of parliament had been delayed twice because of plague so you know there's lots of things that feel very current so it, that's the an exciting story to tell as well well what i might do dan is i might bring a mic in may because i missed the last run of 222 i was trying to get over for the la very last performance there but i couldn't make it to london with pcr tests and everything else like that but i'll definitely come over in a month or so's time but you might take me through that gunpowder plot we might be able to go yeah. down there you and me yeah yeah absolutely come, and we'll come, do a little come. bit of recording but for mm -hmm. now danny robbins go listen to the man's podcast because it just it has changed the way i look about creating mm -hmm. absolutely anything and everything and they're fascinating stories to boot dan thank you so much for talking to me thank you phil pleasure